the Trumps, we love them, right? And they've been on the international stage for decades. Did you notice all those decades, everything was fine. Never investigated, accused of a crime. Politics changed all of that. Now they're under investigation left and right. It is harassment, clearly. And now the state attorney general in New York, her name is Letitia James. Now we think she graduated from law school. Uh, with her, it's often hard to tell if she's a real lawyer or not. So she has successfully convinced a judge that the Trumps will have to testify before her. Put out a tweet just a short time ago, and it says this. Today, a court ruled in our favor that Donald Trump must appear before my office as part of our investigation into his financial dealings. Goes on to say, no one will be permitted to stand in the way of the pursuit of justice, no matter how powerful they are. Mm, sounds so strong, right? Superwoman. This is all nonsense. This is not how lawyers speak. This is how crazy politicians with an agenda speak. And by the way, Mueller, Schiff, all those guys, if there was something, I mean, really something to get on Trump, they would have gotten it by now. Letitia James, uh-uh. There's nothing there, but I don't think this is fair. And after you hear the way she speaks, before she even became an attorney general, the way she talked about the Trumps, this woman should not have power. I say one name, Donald Trump. That should motivate you. Get off your ass, boo. Will you, will you sue him for us? Oh, we're going to definitely sue him. We're going to be a real pain in the ass. He's going to know my name personally running for attorney general because I will never be afraid to challenge this illegitimate president when our fundamental rights are at stake. We need to focus on Donald Trump and his abuses. We need to follow his money. We need to find out where he's laundered money. All of those transactions have happened here in New York City. Incredibly prejudicial, wild, wrong. Did you hear she called President Trump illegitimate while he was president? If you or I tried that on social media, if it said something about that of Biden, oh, they'd warn us. They'd kick us off of Twitter. Yeah, they really would. But if you're a Democrat, you get elected when you say that kind of stuff. She's silly. I don't think we have to really worry about much. This, however, is far more serious. The totalitarian atmosphere that is America, where we, Americans, have to watch what we say. That's, no, I don't like that message. We've always had to kind of consider who might hear something and who might be offended. That happened long before cancel culture, long before smartphones. You may remember these guys, uh, old TV dudes and one politician, they said wildly offensive things. Tex Antoine said something horrible about sexual assault uh, on TV. I think he was a weatherman. He couldn't come back the next day. Jimmy the Greek said something pretty nasty about monkeys and people. It was awful. And Governor Allen Remember the macaca moment? Really bad. And all before cell phones. So the community has always had standards, but now the community is crazy. I mean, really crazy. We've seen hints of this before. It's actually been in the works for decades. Shortly after 9-11, Ari Fleischer, he was the press secretary for George W. Bush. He tried it. It was pushed back, but he tried something that was pretty scary, actually. They remind us to all Americans that they need to, to watch what they say, watch what they do. And this is not a time for remarks like that. There never is. All Americans to watch what they say, watch what they do. 
who the heck is this guy? What he was doing, Bill Maher made some dumb joke and everybody was angry at Bill Maher. But people in power try to take it out on America, exploit moments like that. Americans have to watch what they do. Americans have to watch what they say. Now, back then, they were trying to exploit September 11th, 2001. Now, it didn't work, but the seeds were there. And now, far more successfully, they're exploiting events like January 6th, the killing of George Floyd in Minnesota. And even that crazy swimmer from Pennsylvania who used to be a boy. All right. These are the kinds of things they're trying to control our speech, the way we think, who gets elected and who gets canceled. You could be famous like these guys. Cancel culture is real. You offend the left. Watch out. Famous, a lot to lose. You could lose it. And even if you're not famous with not much to lose, you can lose that, too. This whole thing about the Karens. It's really, really ugly. However, if you say something that the left likes, that the left secretly or even overtly supports, the Internet will make room and plus and like and get it out there and juice the algorithms so you become a star just as long as you make it as woke and crazy as possible like this. The goal of the transition closet is for our students to be able to wear the clothes that their parents approve of, come to school, and then swap out into the clothes that fit who they truly are. And I use the idea that this is like Superman changing in a phone booth. But that idea actually goes a lot further than that, because Superman isn't Clark Kent. Clark Kent is actually the disguise. And when Clark Kent goes into the phone booth, he transforms into Superman, who's really just who he truly is, Kal-El. And so this gives our trans students the opportunity to be the superheroes that we know they are. Now, I think this weirdo should be able to say whatever the hell he wants into whatever camera he wants. Here's what should not happen. They're pushing this stuff on our children. That little superhero closet, whatever he called it, that exists. That's a thing. So many academics support this stuff. What is happening? Take a look at this. And they are not too young to leave this work. And they are not as attached to things as us adults are. Like, you talk to kids about gender fluidity, and, like, they're, like, they're ready. Talk to them about anti-racism, they're ready. And the more that we can empower them and educate them and make them comfortable with conversations that are hard for adults, the more we're all going to come along. They're talking about indoctrination. By the way, anti-racism, watch out for that. It's different from not being racist. Nobody wants to be a racist. We don't like racism. But anti-racist is a whole weird ideology that, quite frankly, tries to make white people second-class citizens. And I don't know anybody, black or white, in my real life, who wants to sign up for that stuff. Online, you see it all the time. Look, they're saying all this crazy stuff, yet... I can't make my concerns about the November 2020 election, the fairness, the weird stuff that happened. If I say it online, ooh, you got to watch what you say. And you know what? I'm just not going to live my life that way. And a lot of you aren't going to do it either. Hey, by the way, it's easy to be a tough guy with your phone. These Americans are great. 
all across the country, at the school boards, especially Loudoun County. I mean, and uh, well, all over the country, really. Uh, they're just amazing, amazing people. I'm in awe of them. They are our patriots. These are heroes. And do you remember that dad? This was in Loudoun County who was there to stick up for his daughter who wanted to go to the bathroom alone and was assaulted by a trans person. It was just ugly. This image, it stayed with me. I think someday this will be iconic. This will be up there with Rosa Parks. This will be in a museum. It should be. It should be. Because what did my friend Tatiana Ibrahim say? She's still correct about this country. You work for me. I don't work for you. You have a duty. We are entrusting our children to you. We teach our children morals, values, when they grow up to commit crimes and end up in prison and kill a police officer. It's our fault? No, it's your fault. You're emotionally abusing our children and mentally abusing them. You're demoralizing them by teaching them communist values. This is still America, ma'am. I love it. This is still America, ma'am. You're damn right. And you know what? It's also still Canada. We're going to hear from two speakers. The first is a conservative member of the parliament up there. She has an eccentric haircut, but she is a conservative. And I think you'll like her. Optimistic, hopeful vision for public life isn't a naive dream. It could be a powerful force for change. If Canadians are to trust their government, their government needs to trust Canadians. Those are the words of the Prime Minister in 2015. These people, very often misogynistic, racist, women haters, science deniers, the fringe. Same Prime Minister six years later as he fans the flames of an unjustified national emergency. So, Mr. Speaker, when did the Prime Minister lose? his way. When did it happen? Right, honorable Prime Minister. Fabulous, right? Well, Justin Trudeau was standing right there. Watch. Conservative Party members can stand with people who wave swastikas. They can stand with people who wave uh, the Confederate flag. We will choose to stand with Canadians who deserve to be able to get to their jobs, who be able to get their lives back. These illegal protests need to stop, and they will, Mr. Speaker. Liberals accusing their opponents of being Nazis. Oh, they go to that all the time, don't they? But they were messing with the wrong woman. I am a strong Jewish woman and a member of this house and a descendant of Holocaust survivors and I have never made to, I've, it's never been singled out and I have never been made to feel less, except for today when the Prime Minister accused me of standing with swastikas. I think he owes me an apology, I'd like an apology and I think he owes an apology to all members of this house. The moment liberals start losing an argument, they call racism. They say their opponents are Nazis. They do it all the time. Sorry she went through that. Happens in America. Uh, happens, as you know, all the time. But this is just like that, actually. Governor Murphy of New Jersey. A couple of months ago, he was in a very close race for re-election, even though the media didn't cover it that way. They said Murphy was going to win by 20 points. He barely won. Barely. And at this point, he knew that he could lose the race. So he was desperate. He was scared. And yeah, he said those who oppose him, are bigots. We have to keep moving forward. We cannot go backward and we cannot afford an extreme leader. There's so much on the ballot 
Uh, there's so much at stake. Do we stand with our sacred democracy? Or do we stand with, with uh, Confederate flags and white supremacists and a pack of lies? Do we stand, do we continue, do we continue to make the tough, do we continue to make the tough calls based on science and data to save as many lives as we can? Or do we put lives at risk because we play politics? Do we stand up for women's reproductive freedoms? So, the crowd went crazy, understandably so, offended, but that's what they do. The moment they start losing, you're a racist, you're a Nazi. It's absolutely disgusting, and it shows you really their ideas. No, if the ideas were solid, sound, they could defend them. Often they can't, often they can't. Back to our friends in uh, Canada. That convoy has brought out so much. Uh, so many people are revealing their true colors. Once again, from the Washington Post, they actually published this. The Washington Post said, what we're seeing, what the Ottawa trucker convoy is bringing on is, well, the notion of freedom, freedom was historically and remains intertwined with whiteness. The belief that one's entitlement to freedom is a key component of white supremacy. No, one's entitlement to freedom is a key component to being a human being, to being God's children of God. Don't we agree? White supremacy, they're corrupting. They're trying to corrupt everything that was good, that is good. That brings me to the military, by the way. Military is in crisis, uh, big time. We have a huge problem with a woke military. You know, their priority right now is not war fighting. It's Diversity, equity, inclusion, all this stuff. Uh, I would have to think long and hard. You know, I served in the military for nine years, active duty, and 12 in the reserves after that. Somebody asked me, um, should I go into the military? Number one, I never tried to talk anybody into the military, but certainly wouldn't talk anybody out of it. Uh, it was fantastic at the time in the 1990s. I enjoyed it. I learned so much and got to serve my country. Right now, could I tell somebody, recommend that somebody join the military of this country at this time with this president, Joe Biden, falling asleep, being incredibly weak at one press conference and trying to show he's tough by ordering thousands of troops around Europe? I wouldn't be signing up for that. And if you have a loved one, I don't know if they should be either. Let's stay tuned. In the meanwhile, please stay tuned to this show. We'll be back in a moment. Brian Cranston, the breaking bad guy, is ashamed to be a white man who's in his 60s. We'll be right back. Real heroes. Real conflict. Real threats. Real heart. Now, there's a place America gets its news. Newsmax, we're real news for real people. Millions are turning off the old channels and switching to Newsmax, the fastest growing cable news channel in America. No agenda, no spin, just the facts. Millions watch us, so can you. Newsmax, we're real news for real people. All I, I can, can say. Is, is that, that the, the fake, fake news just doesn't, doesn't get, get it, do <laughs> And the fake news, boy, oh boy, they love Brian Cranston, uh, the actor from Breaking Bad, which is a show, quite frankly, I never had time for. One of these days, maybe. I hear it's great. 
But Brian Cranston is now in his mid-60s, and he's white, and he can't stop apologizing and saying that somehow that's a bad thing. Now, he's rich and famous, so he can point to his skin and his gender and say, Oh, yes, I know. It's uh, so terrible. He literally does that all the time. So he's in some new play or he's directing a play out in Los Angeles, his latest creative adventure. It was in the L.A. Times, how he's confronting his white privilege. He's confronting his white privilege. And he does throughout the story. It's uh, he apologizes. If you need an old white guy, I'm available. Had to confront his white privilege. I need to change. Rich, old, white people. He put down Broadway audiences. They're full of rich old white people. Well, somebody's got to pay for those tickets and watch those boring Broadway shows. Yeah. Somebody has to say it about that place. Anyway, I'm glad Broadway exists. Um, This is crazy stuff. Hmm? Now, people who are not rich, not famous, but are white and their gender is perhaps not trans. We don't want that being held against us. And when guys like this say this stuff, it changes the culture. It makes us, people who are white of a certain age, male, less valuable. That's the message. Now, Brian Cranston, when he was on his way up, was not afraid to be politically incorrect. Here he is as that dentist in Seinfeld. Did you hear the one about the rabbi and the farmer's daughter? (laughs) Those aren't matzo balls. (laughs) What? Tim, do you think you should be making jokes like that? Why not? I'm Jewish, remember? (laughs) I know, but... Jerry, it's our sense of humor that sustained us as a people for 3,000 years. 5,000. 5,000, even better. (laughs) Ah, ah. Seinfeld would never have aired, uh, could never air again. So politically incorrect, they all would have been canceled. The show would have been canceled. The people would have been canceled. Anyway... Those days are long gone, and now Brian is as woke as they come. Wow. (laughs) Finally, a straight old white man gets a break. Get it? You know, white guys have had it easy for so long, and now it's time for all of us to take a step back. No, I don't think so. I want to be judged on other things. Don't you? Whatever your color, people should be judged on what's on the inside, not on the outside. But so many, quite frankly, if they want to say it, rich, old, white guys who are famous want to virtue signal in the most obnoxious way. I'm asking for trouble here because here I am, an old, old white guy talking about race relations. I say this as an old white guy. How did it happen that this has come down to two old white guys? I'm an old white guy. And I love Barack Obama. I just know gray haired white guy in a suit, you know, fairly boring. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you. I hear you, Mr. President. Easy for them to say. All right. To put themselves down like that. Um, I don't do it. I don't like it. I do notice that certain people of color, if they're liberal and if they're newly elected, say to New York City mayor, they pound their chest about how proud they are to be a certain ethnicity and look a certain way. You know, let me say this. And, you know, I'm not saying it out of hate. I'm saying it out of love. I'm a black man. That's the mayor. 
Wow. Okay. Whatever you say, you take whatever it, you say that um, uh, you get whatever you want. I mean, he was shaming a group of reporters, white reporters, and he actually scared them when he said that. They all, they all went away. So it's pretty crazy, right? These are crazy times. So I'm going to leave that aside for a moment, and we got to talk about the Durham uh, filing. Worse than Watergate. It is worse than Watergate. Hillary herself weighed in. She went to an old trusty excuse. It's a right wing conspiracy. It's funny, the more trouble Trump gets into, the wilder the charges and conspiracy theories about me seem to get. (laughs) Do you remember this? She's done it before. Hmm? Uh, In the late 1990s, remember what was going on around then? The great story here for anybody willing to find it and write about it and explain it is this vast right-wing conspiracy that has been conspiring against my husband since the day he announced for president. Vast right-wing conspiracy. That's what she said when the Monica Lewinsky thing was taking off. Vast right-wing conspiracy. Turned out... Yeah, no, uh, they weren't making that up, okay? And they're not making this up about the Durham filing. This is serious. This is a big deal, and it's been misrepresented by the media. And it's not as complicated as has been presented. So we have this. You have the Clinton campaign. You have Michael Sussman. He's an attorney uh, working for the Clinton campaign, billing the Clinton campaign. And then you got tech executive one, whose real name is Rodney Jaffe, all right? Now, Rodney Jaffe is taking all kinds of data that he's assembling with his friends, the ones he works with, um, private contractors. They're evaluating data from Trump Tower, from another building in New York City, and the executive office of the president, the White House, looking for derogatory information on Donald Trump. It is in the new filing. And Jaffe, not only was he spending time with Michael Sussman, He also has been reported to have links to Mark Elias. Mark Elias is a, perhaps more than anyone in the country, even more than Joe Biden himself, is responsible for the election of Joe Biden. More on him later. So what did the the liberal media do when this broke? They kept quiet. They had to figure out, okay, how do we spin this to our advantage. They waited a couple of days and then they had the New York Times do their dirty work for them. There's a guy by the name of Charlie Savage who wrote court filing started a furor in right wing outlets, but their narrative is off track. Is it really? Um, First, they say this is all old news. Some of it we did know before, but it's not old news, not the part that actually made news. Take a look. Charlie Savage of the New York Times is one of the reporters covering this story. His piece from Monday is titled Court Filing Started a Furor in Right-Wing Outlets, but their narrative is off track. Uh, Charlie, thanks for coming on the show tonight. You write that much of the right-wing narrative is factually incorrect, but you also write that many parts of the narrative are old news. Explain that for us. 
Uh, well, the old news part was the basic thrust of this, that Michael Sussman, this yeah. lawyer, is being prosecuted by Durham. So what he does is he goes through the indictment. And it's true. We had the indictment last September and the mechanics of Tech Executive One, uh, Sussman, the FBI, the CIA. We knew that. But we did not know about the White House. We didn't know. It wasn't. Listen to how they address that. A very rare in the United States Russian-made smartphone had been connecting to networks inside Trump Tower, inside another building connected to Trump, inside some other places and inside the White House. We had at The New York Times reported that in a story about the uh, related to the Durham investigation in the Michael Sussman case back in October. No, they didn't. No, they did not. They did not report about the White House in October. You can look up the story. We have it. You can get it online. They don't mention anything about the White House. And that's what makes this new filing sensational. And did you notice how quickly he spoke, how he tried to obscure it because it's not in the story? Listen. Inside some other places and inside the White House. What the hell was that? All right. Trying to muddy the waters. There's more. Maybe I'm confused by all the technical stuff. If the White House internet monitoring happened only during the Obama years, what evidence would that offer about Trump? Well, we have, uh, we have Durham's portrayal of this, that they said this entire thing was about Trump. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. <laughs> maybe it was, maybe it was. Durham says the entire thing is about Trump. And the reporter who knows the uh, all the information. So uh, maybe it does, maybe it does. Maybe it wasn't. They're deliberately muddying the waters. And you know what? It's actually working to some extent. And our friends at Fox News, by the way, are getting a lot of this wrong and opening themselves to attack. And it makes this seem not as important as it is. They should get it together over there. Let's wrap up. The cybersecurity researchers had developed these anomalous data they had concerns about and had a theory about and had written up white papers saying, this is odd. What, what could this mean? Is there a sign of a, a Trump tie here or not? And eventually that paper makes it into Rodney Joffe's hands and then it makes it into Michael Sussman's hands and Sussman takes it to the CIA. All right. So Rodney Joffe gets this information with his colleagues and they think they might have some information that suggests that the White House, the Trump White House, is compromised. So who do they bring it to? Sussman. And everybody knows that guy is a Clinton guy. Everybody knows it. And Jaffe, again, he goes to Mark Elias, reportedly, at one moment. And everybody knows that this is a way to get the Clinton through that lawyer. Even Morning Joe. Hillary Clinton, uh, there's not even any suggestion that Hillary Clinton had anything to do with any of this. They have Sussman, a guy that everybody in Washington, D.C. knew, was connected to the DNC and Hillary Clinton, including Republicans on the Hill. I mean, I could go on and on and on. On and on and on. Hillary is not yet in the clear. We don't know where this is going to go. And um, why would they go to that lawyer that everybody knew was a Democrat? Why would they do that? Jaffe and his team if they had real concerns about uh, the security of the White House. This is getting interesting, very interesting. Stay tuned. Meanwhile, on Sunday, he won the Super Bowl. Good for the quarterback. Then a couple of days later, 
He watches a woman fall down, break her back, and he just walks away. It's pretty stunning when we come back. So uh, the Super Bowl, right? It's over. Good for the Rams, I guess, right? And the quarterback, his name is Matthew Stafford. And, uh, you know, these athletes are all a little bit crazy, in part because they get so much adulation, so much worship. And it usually goes back to the little leagues, you know? I mean, the athletes of today were the best athletes in middle school. So it starts when they're 12, the hero worship and all that stuff. That's my theory as to why Stafford here, during the celebration, the big celebration in Los Angeles for their big victory, would behave like this after a woman right in front of him falls six feet to the ground and breaks her back. Did you see that? He walks away. Now, that's his wife, Mrs. Stafford, a human reaction. I got to see it one more time. And I think we put an unnecessary, but it's there anyway. A little shade. Oh, oh, well, I better get out of here. Trouble. Let's grab a drink of water. I'm just going to be over here. Now, the woman who fell, seriously, she broke, she broke her spine. Now, it's nice. I think they're going to pay the hospital bills. All right, the Staffords, and that's nice, but it's no real big uh, measure on their part. Take a look. This guy, Stafford, <laughs> average salary at $23 million. This is one of the reasons why I have no interest in sports anymore, quite frankly. The money is disgusting. His career, I guess, he's been around for a long time. It's not like he's a rookie, you know? Not like he's a high schooler who just made it. He's been around for a long time. This is an adult, and he's not functioning right. Uh, it, might have been a momentary mistake, lapse. I hope he learns from it, whatever. The NFL, though, it's funny. Problems like this, problems in, I don't know, behavior, racism is the least of their problems. But they make it to be the most of their problems. It reminds me of a story about Deion Sanders. You know Deion Sanders? This guy was amazing. He was I guess he played not only in a couple of Super Bowls, but also in the World Series. He was also a great baseball player. An amazing athlete, and it's funny, I grew up hearing the name, but uh, he's only, I think, 54 or 55 years old right now. All, all that success, all that fame, all that money, it did not fill the empty spot in his heart. It's fulfilled today, but it wasn't back then. Listen. Sanders just went hard to right field, way back into the right field seats. And he's done it all in brash, high-stepping style. But along the road to fame and fortune, Dion's dreams turned into nightmares. The night we won the Super Bowl in San Francisco, I was the first one out of the locker room, the first one home, the first one to bed. And I said, this, it ain't what I thought it was. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even happy. Despite two Super Bowl trophies and millions in the bank, Dion was on the brink of suicide. You got women everywhere, you still ain't happy. You got clothes galore, you still ain't happy. You, you got everything you wanted, but you're still not happy. As a happy ending, he uh, found God, Christ, and he's doing amazing now. Dion Sanders, of course, the noted minister and sports analyst, and the guy is just... Fantastic. And what a story, though, huh? Because 
he achieved what so many of us think we want, right? Who was just a little jealous on Super Bowl Sunday, right? You see those guys, you see that guy, he wins the big game, and you think, hmm, if only I could do that. If only I got to do that. Anyway, that's not the answer. We know where the answers are, the real answers. Stay with us. We'll be back with Jack Brewer and the Speaker of the House in Florida, the Florida House. They just passed the Fatherhood Bill. It's an amazing piece of legislation about responsibility. It's wonderful. We'll be right back. Folks, I've had a huge advantage in life. You might even call it a privilege. Privileged to be the son of my mother, Veronica, and my father, Ray, (laughs) Raymond Kelly. There he is in the middle with my brother, Jim, on the right, and I'm on the left with the kind of anxious face for some reason. Having a father, um, it is an advantage, really, for anyone who has a father. Hopefully, they're a good dad. It's a real disadvantage. If you don't, the statistics back that up. Poverty, crime, incarceration, just about every negative outcome you can think of is associated uh, to not having a father. And in Florida, well, they're doing something about it, something bold, something big, something I haven't seen before. They just passed the Responsible Fatherhood Initiative. It's a provision of the Child Welfare Bill, 7065, and here's what it does. It puts serious money, tens of millions of dollars, behind uh, such programs as assisting fathers in finding employment, managing child support obligations, transitioning from a period of incarceration, and so on. With fathers, the intended recipients and beneficiaries, and ultimately the children. It's fantastic. It's new. It's bold. And we have, uh, well, our next two guests, are. we should thank them. They had a key role in this. Representative Chris Sprouls, he is the Speaker of the Florida House. Uh, Welcome, Mr. Speaker. And Jack Brewer, retired NFL football player, entrepreneur, CEO of the Brewer Group, Welcome, gentlemen, and, and and first to you, Jack. I mean, this is a this is a problem we all know about. You know, absentee fathers, a wall fathers. It happens all too often, and nobody seems to do anything about it. And this is changing that in a big way. Welcome. It is so glad to be on the show, uh, Greg, and uh, to be you know joining uh, my my new dear dear friend, uh, Speaker Sprouse. And I tell you what, you know, you're right. When you look at equity and equality and all the buzzwords that you hear out there from many on the left, uh, it starts and it ends with fatherhood. And all those numbers that you see, those incarceration numbers are real. When I go into the prisons, uh, usually on a weekly or biweekly basis, I see these guys that are fatherless. Uh, and we look at our education system, you see, uh, we talk about public schools, private schools and inequalities. Uh, those all point back to fatherlessness. Even sex trafficking and our little girls that are um, being um, abused and misused, uh, that doesn't happen as often if there's a hard-handed father in the house looking over their children. And so this bill really has set the precedent uh, and hopefully uh, will be adapted across the nation. But, you know, right in Florida, where I'm a proud resident and I work with these kids each and every day, I can tell you that this is a, a crisis. This is the civil rights issue of our time. And so I just I applaud uh, Speaker Sprouse and his entire legislation for coming up and unanimously deciding upon a bill uh, of this magnitude. All of Americans should be proud uh, at this moment and hopeful 
uh, because this is the true hope of the American dream. Excellent. Speaker Sprouse, thank you. Uh, what should we know and how did this come about? Because, again, people talk about this problem. <laughs> Barack Obama talked about it. And nothing really seemed to happen or change, but you guys are changing it. Well, I appreciate that, Greg. And, and Jack, Jack really identified the problem. I mean, the first thing is, you know, why does this matter? Why is it important? You know, those of us who who grew up with a dad like you did, Greg, and Jack got to talk about his dad yesterday on the, the steps of the old Capitol here in Tallahassee. Uh, but what we know is that a, a, a child who doesn't have a father is more likely to be incarcerated. They're more likely to be depressed, commit suicide, abuse drugs, live in poverty. Really, every, every significant social ill you can think of can start with an absent father. So what can we do about it? to change all that other than just talking about the problem, like you said, Greg. And what we did in this fatherless initiative is invested $70 million in grants for, for community programs that are specifically reaching out to dads to connect them with their children's lives. Some of those dads are going to be dads who are coming out of prison. Others are just ones who are disconnected or who don't have the tools and know how to be a dad. These organizations meet them. They help them find a job, take care of their childhood obligations of child support, but also to pour into their children. You know, Greg, you showed a picture on the show of you and your dad and those moments as you're growing up where you have a dad or a, a foster parent, adopted parent, a male role model who pours into you, tells you they're proud of you, tells you that they believe in you. That is the moment in your life when anything seems possible. That's what this bill is all about. And that's what we seek to achieve here in Florida. Uh, we're, we're seeing you, by the way, Mr. Speaker, with your dad. It looks like he might be a law enforcement officer. Uh, tell us about him if you could. Yeah, my dad, Joe, he's a retired New York City police officer, served as a homicide detective in the South Bronx. Uh, so I got to grow up uh, on the way to school, grow up on cop stories, uh, which certainly influenced me. And I think because of those stories on the way to school, Greg, I, I became a gang and homicide prosecutor here in Florida. Uh, it led to me going to the legislature, fighting for justice, fighting for the rule of law. Uh, my dad had an amazingly effect on me. But I can tell you that there was this moment, I was about 15 or 16 years old, where my dad said, I, I honestly believe that you can do anything that you set your mind to because I've seen you do these things and you've done them better than I did when I was your age. And I remembered in that moment mm. that I felt like Superman. But I also realized as I've grown older and have two young boys of my own that not every child has that opportunity. This bill seeks to find them a mentor, connect them with their dad or foster parent to make sure that they have that same moment that I did that really opened up all the doors and all the possibilities. That's awesome. I know what you mean about those cop stories. They're awesome. Uh, Speaker Sprouse, thank you. We're going to say goodnight to you. We appreciate it so much. Jack, if you don't mind, stick around. We'd like to talk to you about uh, the Super Bowl and a couple of other things. And we also want to know about your dad as well. So we'll see Jack in a moment. Best to you, Mr. Speaker. And we'll be right back. Too many fathers are MIA. Too many fathers are AWOL. You and I know this is true everywhere, but nowhere is it more true than in the African-American community. We know the statistics that children who grow up without a father are five times more likely to live in poverty and commit crime. They're nine times more likely to drop out of school, 20 times more likely to end up in prison. He was bold and honest, and then he never mentioned it again. <laughs> the left did not want to hear that, and he never talked about it. Think of all the good he could have done. Jack Brewer rejoins us. Uh, Jack, you know, when when Obama was trying to charm us, 
He was saying, you know, he was addressing a serious problem. How much of an opportunity was squandered? That's how I see it. He could have changed the whole game and he didn't break a sweat. Yeah, it, it, it has definitely been a, a disappointment, you know, over the past decade of, of watching um, a lot of our cities corrode um, from inside and watching the bloodshed on our streets and, and watching the dropout rate uh, continue to rise for, for uh, particularly boys of color. And so uh, I serve on the federal commission for the social status of black men and boys. And uh, I think this commission is here as a, a direct result of inaction um, by presidents like Barack Obama, who had such a, an amazing opportunity before him to be able to speak into the community as a father figure, uh, really to, to get everyone to stand up. And so uh, I think our country is paying for that now. Um, whenever you have a population uh, like young black men who uh, are shooting each other at the rate that they are, I mean, just this year in the, in the city of Chicago, over 400 kids have been killed by other kids uh, in the streets. And so when you see these rates so high that Barack Obama just quoted, uh, it's called a crisis. And so when you talk about civil rights and you talk about racial justice and all of those things, it's, it begins and ends with the father. We would not have such a divided society. We would not have so much disparity uh, in our nation if we had better fathers in the home. We lead the world in fatherlessness. And that is sad. The most prosperous country uh, on earth should not lead the world in fatherlessness and definitely shouldn't have social movements that are disincentivizing fatherhood like BLM, who's calling to break up the nuclear family. We need to stand up for men. We need to stand up for the order of God because that is righteousness. Fatherhood is righteousness, Greg, and, and it's time for this nation to take a hard stand uh, like we're trying to do here in Florida. I love it. By the way, we only have a half a minute left. Your dad. We talked about my dad. I think we saw the speaker's dad. This is your dad. Tell us a little bit about him, if you don't mind, please. God bless Eddie Jack, man. I see him. It brings tears in my eyes. He's still here with me, and I still love hearing his voice. He was my coach. He was my mentor. He used to walk around the house and say, you can be whoever you want to be. And he told me that each and every day, he said, be the greatest at everything you do. He's where I got my spunk. He's where I got my fight. Uh, he's where I got my order. And he's the reason why, Greg, I still spank my kids' butts today. Because uh, <laughs> I believe that if he didn't spank me, I wouldn't be the man that I am. And I totally respect him for teaching me uh, how to be a, a dad. Amazing. Please give him our best. Jack Brewer, to be continued. Excellent work in Tallahassee. Thank you, sir. God bless you, brother. Thank you. All right. Take care. And uh, we'll be right back. If you've had it with the old news. And the same spent. Well, then Spicer and Company is your place. For the inside story. And for the facts that you need to know. All right. Good night, everybody. And thanks again to my dad and my mom. She took the picture. Uh, I'll show you her next week. Uh, there we are on the beach. I think this was in California. Oh, if you drop that banner, you'll notice that my belt matches my shirt. What a stylish little kid. Thanks, everybody. Stitchfield is next. See you soon. <laughs>